Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. It's Friday, and you know what that means, another great podcast. So we've got one coming for you today. We've got Paul Morton, the photographer and contributor at VW Trends Magazine. Now, Paul's been in the VW scene for several years, as well as the mini truck scene, the car audio and electronics scene. Uh, All around, uh, he's been down since the early 80s, and we go on a deep dive into everything from BMX and skateboards to mini trucks and Volkswagen. So this conversation is a potpourri of subjects that I'm sure you're going to enjoy and a lot of reminiscing about back in the day. So it's a great podcast. If you haven't checked out his website, the tags are at the end. Click on the link below and you can follow Paul Morton. He's got a lot of cool stuff going on. So make sure you guys check him out. But before you get into that, make sure you guys support your boy by going to let's talk dubs and clicking on the store page picking up some merch to support your favorite podcast as well as sharing the podcast with your friends go to your phone right now click the link hit 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 the three little dots hit share show and send it to your friends put it in a group text with your buddies tell them to get their life right and listen to let's talk dubs uh we've seen another couple podcasts hitting the scene out there and good luck to those guys i'll talk to you guys at 250 episodes because that's where we're at. The number one VW podcast is the one that you listen to. So appreciate you guys for listening. And we've got plenty more content coming about. So you guys will get an opportunity to see some of that stuff. I'm planning on working on some YouTube videos this weekend that I'll put out for my trip to Octo and then doing the supercharger conversion on the chop top. So you guys will get to take a look at some of that stuff and uh, get some insight on it. And I'm telling you, most bang for the buck is that supercharge. I know you guys listened to it in the uh, round table that I did. But that supercharger really made a huge difference. So if you guys are looking for some good performance on the cheap, man, you'll check that video out on my podcast and uh, go check out the boys at Compressor Haas over there in the UK. They make a pretty sweet deal. I've reached out to a couple people here in the States that do supercharger setups and stuff like that. And I haven't been able to direct anybody over to a nice slick setup like the one that I ended up putting on my car that uh, it's pretty neat, fits under the deck lid. It's all compact and it was two grand. So you can't beat that with a bat. So make sure you guys check that out. Also, I want to give a shout out to some listeners that support the podcast by picking up some merch. My man, Darren Mish out in Florida. What up? I appreciate you supporting the podcast. Sent your merch out today. Sorry for the delay, brother. And uh, you should be getting it shortly. So appreciate those that support the podcast. People are pre-registering for the event this October 3rd. Through the 5th, one crazy weekend going to be taking place at the Orleans Hotel Casino, kicking off Friday with a meet and greet strip cruise. Saturday, the car show. Saturday evening, the world famous poker run where you get your chance to win your share of $3,000 in cash. So we're coming up with a couple extra ways to win some money. So that'll be coming your way. So not so everybody has a chance to win some cash. So And we'll be putting on some events on Thursday not putting on events. I'll have some destinations. If you want to take your bug to go check some stuff out, you go cruise the city, get some VIP parking and go get a little bit of a discount at some tourist type stuff that you might want to see in Vegas. So if you guys are interested, DM me, let me know what are some of the places that you would love to be able to go see and be able to park your Volkswagen right out front. So, you know, it's nice and safe. So other than that, guys, it's been, uh, been over here working away at the studio here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, just getting some content together for you guys. So appreciate 
you guys for listening. And again, make sure you share the podcast. So, and also want to make sure you guys support our sponsors, VW Trends Magazine, a magazine for the people by the people. Back at it again. Go subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. And don't forget, you need some cool stuff for your Volkswagen. Go to rosswolf.com and pick out some cool stuff. Things like billet, stainless steel, decklet hinges. How about a block off plate? Maybe a locking dipstick. Just got that. Just got some red velocity stacks from my side draft to accent the old supercharger on the chop top. So go check them out today at rosswolf.com. They've also got new OG style plug wires that are going to be coming out in the market. So make sure you guys get lined up for those. You'd like that vintage performance look, go get your stuff. Get laced up today at Ross Wolf. Go to rosswolf.com. Well, without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week. Paul Morton, contributing photographer, article writer, and photographer extraordinaire with VW Trends, Paul Morton. On Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody. So on today's podcast, uh, I've got a special guest here today and Paul Morton, you may or may not know the name. If you're reading your VW Trends magazine, I know you know the name because he was part of the small crew that's relaunched VW Trends magazine as a contributor, writer, photographer. He's got a long history in the magazine world from Auto Santa Security to Import Racer and uh, Drifting Magazine. So on today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Paul Morton with VW Trends Magazine and a Paul Morton Photography. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to get you on because you know we we I was directed towards you through my buddy Bob Daniels, who I hung out with last weekend, and we talked a lot about you know because obviously Bob does the '80s page, mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about '80s and culture and things like that. He says, you know, you ought to get Paul on the podcast and. You know, we've kind of connected a little bit on Facebook here and there, but uh, definitely wanted to get you on the podcast. And if you're not familiar with the podcast, because you're obviously in the VW scene, you cross, you're kind of like me, you you cross over scenes a little bit. So you're auto sound security, the mini truck scene, you're kind of all over the place. And so I know that in the early days of your origins on in automotive started with a Volkswagen, and so typically the way we start the podcast is what's what's your VW story and how did you first get into Volkswagens? Well, I, I've always been into cars as long as I can remember. I, I was born in the 70s, and so vans and vanning was huge. I love that. And I loved all kinds of car culture, hot rods and, and different things. Dirt bikes were huge. But, you know, as I got older and got closer to my 16th birthday, I wanted a car and I was desperate for anything I could get the cheapest I could get. And I started looking towards Volkswagens, not just because they were cheap, because I just, I liked everything about them, the different styling. I like Baja bugs. I like lowered bugs. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I, I grew up in Southern California and in the eighties, the mid eighties in Southern California, every kid and everyone on a budget drove a mini truck and or a Volkswagen, but you know, some type of Volkswagen. Cause back then, they were cheap, unlike now. And so my first car 
was a 68 bug and it was pretty it was pretty rough it was uh red and primer and rust and orange it was a bunch of colors and um I, I was here in phoenix when i got that and uh, my sister actually took me down there and this guy had just put some old engine in it we you know, got it started now i didn't know how to drive stick at this point nice and so she she taught me in like south phoenix behind some buildings how to drive a stick and then let me drive home in rush hour traffic. I almost slid it through an intersection. Oh, wow. But uh, that's the start of my bug journey. And honestly, I've loved bugs and Volkswagens ever since. Both, I mean, the cars, the culture, and everything about it. Yeah, you know, and, and what's funny is I know that you, we were talking earlier and you told me that, you know, your VW thing didn't last super long. Because a lot of people, they get their first bug and it's kind of it's too overwhelming with the breakdowns and it's been manhandled by 46 different owners and, and all that stuff. And sometimes we, we get, we need to get something super reliable if we don't have time to work on stuff. And so um, I think by proxy of that you were telling me that you ended up switching into a mini truck right there. And, and this is in the eighties and right, yeah. right there at the pinnacle of like Volkswagens and mini trucks, like the, I, what I consider like the best car scene right back in the day. I, I can't argue with you there. I, it was such a good time in my life. And yeah, I drove the bug around for a little while, while. And, you know, I didn't have car people around me. I didn't have any mechanics around me to teach me stuff. There was no internet. I couldn't, you know, YouTube stuff, which I would have done if today was, you know, I was 16 and had a bug. Yeah. But um, I drove around Phoenix for a little while. Then we moved to uh, Corona, California. And I drove it, you know, across the desert, got it there, and it was all good. And then one day I'm in high school and I go out and it won't start. And I, I didn't know what to do. And so ultimately that, like you said, it led me to my first mini truck. This is back in the days when you could walk in with $7,000 cash and buy a brand new mini truck uh, out the door. Yeah. And so I had a 86 Toyota truck and that kind of got me into the mini truck scene. Now, I kept my roots though, because you know, the first thing I did was put Porsche, I lowered it and put Porsche alloys on it. They were fake Eagle always, but still, you know, Yeah. Uh, I had to tip my hat to the, my VW trends as it were, my VW history. <laughs> well, you know, and, and the Porsche alloys, you know, Porsche alloys, cookie cutters, you know, those cars mm. were really, um, those wheels were, they, they transcended styles. They went, it, it, again, it's something that crosses the bridge between the two different hobbies to some degree where it's, you know, it, it's, it's something that you see on mini trucks that when you see alloys or cookie cutters on the mini trucks, you think eighties, like right, right away, you know, for sure. Those were, you know, they didn't, there was a huge aftermarket. That's the interesting thing, right? There wasn't a huge aftermarket wheel thing at the time. I mean, there, there, there were lots of wheels, but they were really cheesy when you were going for like wild custom looks. And so it seemed like Porsche wheels for some reason, because Porsche kind of had that classy stigma about it, maybe. Right. Well, there's something about that design. That design is just, I don't know, timeless and it's sexy. I've had Porsche alloys on everything. I had them on multiple mini trucks. I had them on my full-size OBS Chevy. I had a 1990 Chevy full-size and I had uh, sevens and eights. They, again, they were Eagle alloys. I had them drilled to fit the truck. And, you know, some people didn't like them. They're like, you know, you got to get those Porsche alloys off the Chevy. And I'm like, why i i love them i love the look right. and but back in the day in the 80s you'd see them on every kind of truck i mean nissan 720s nothing looks better than a nissan 720 on porsche alloys yeah but t 
to this day, it's my favorite wheel. And I have a real 16.6 Fuchsau in my office. Um, I just love them. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- that's one of the things with, you know, I just recently picked up a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trolling Facebook, Facebook marketplace, which is like the, the worst thing to do when you're bored. And there, <laughs> and there's an 84, 80, 84, 86, uh, Nissan 720 King cab. And I was like, mm. I mean, to me, it was like the dream truck. I could never afford as a kid. I was like, you know what? Guy wants like $1,500 for it without a title. So I jam over there, talk to the guy. I realized through the circumstances that I can get the title for it. And so I was like, well, you know what? Let me, uh, l- let's connect. I'll get this thing. So I get the truck. I drive it home. And then when I, and then like, you know, another two hours later, there I am on marketplace scoring a set of like, like the champ 500 style wheel, but these are, these are a six hole wheel, but it mm-hmm. looks like that champ 500 design. So it's like within two days and two grand, I've got, a, I've got a lowered me truck on fully polished, you know, the, the six hole wheels looking like a car right out of the eighties. And it's like, I mean, stuff depending on condition that you get it, you can pick stuff up really cheap depending on the markets you find it in. But it's so cool that now, you know, you can run up on something like that and just get a great deal on building a project that you're starting to do. I mean, I, I had one mini truck when I was younger. It was a, a 19, uh, 1980 Chevy love. Nice. And it had like, uh, obviously it had the Corbo seats in it and then it had mm-hmm. some tail, you know, Cougar taillights on the back. And then yeah, the the wink mirror, the baby yep. turbo mirrors, yeah. Yep. And and it had a blown head gasket, so that might as well have been a total back in those days, <laughs> right? And it was like I got to get rid of this thing. Who knows how to fix a head gasket? You know what I mean? Nowadays, it's right. like in a weekend we could do a blown head gasket, but you know, back then we were just you know working on simple cars. It was one of those things where I'm like, man, I gotta I gotta do something. So I didn't get a ton of time to enjoy that, but now that I got this little this little, uh, 720 King cab, you know, it just kind of fits so good. And, and, and I also snagged another deal. Uh, I snagged a 92 S 10 blazer. And in the same, uh, in the same weekend on marketplace, I snagged a set of original 16 inch IROC wheels. <laughs> so, oh, that's so a perfect combo. I'm starting to build the, the fleet of like the, the, you know, the eighties, nineties kind of mini truck VW scene. Cause you know, there's, they're so cool and quickly affordable. And, uh, you know, you know, for me, it's like the classic setup is like 80 style car, huge booming system in it, you know, and you got to have the system. That's just part of the culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, just taking it out and going cruising and it's like just crew. We used to cruise up and down the strip here in Vegas and it was like, you know, typical Friday night was like, find a spot to park in front of McDonald's as you're doing your mm-hmm. laps back and forth. And then it's like, who's got the latest, greatest booming system was really, cause really it wasn't a lot right. of, there was a, a little bit of motor stuff done back then and the heavy gearheads were into that, but like the cruising guys were all about the look and the sound, you know? Absolutely. Cruising was my life. I, like I said, Southern California in the mid eighties, that's all we did. That's all I did was go cruising. I cruised Magnolia and Riverside. I mean, all the time. I was so crazy for cruising. One night on Thanksgiving, I was coming home because I went and saw my mom in Palm Springs, came back to Inland Empire. And I'm like, 
let me stop off by the mall. And I parked in front of Toys R Us, which is one of our parking spots where we parked when we cruised. And no one was out there. It was, it was Thanksgiving. But then, like, within 10 minutes, another truck or car or whatever, cruiser, saw me and pulled over, and we had a conversation for a while. And that was cruising because it wasn't just, as you know, it wasn't just driving the car. It was hanging out. It was meeting people. It was, I, it was, our, it was our social media. It was our Facebook. Right. Except that was way more fun. <laughs> no, it was, so, it was one of the things where, you know, like – I've got kids now and my kids were a few years younger and they'd be going to dances or whatever. We we go to like, I'd have to go take some kids to church dances or whatever. So it's like, all right, let's go take these kids. We're going to pile them in my bus and then cruise down the strip one way going across town to go buy a thing. And you know, I'd be cranking what, what, what song you guys like just cranking their music and cruising. And I could see some of these kids just get connected where they're like, Oh, I got to get a cool car one day and I got to get a nice system. And it's just something about that, you know, where you're, uh, you know, I have a term for it that I, that, that I like to feel that I coined, which is curbside superstar where you're just like, <laughs> you're, you're just cruising, right? You're just down there and everybody just stops and they start looking at you, you know, and yeah. here in Vegas now, because of all, you know, the digital phones and all that stuff. As you're driving on the strip, you'll just see all kinds of people start taking pictures of your car and all that stuff, which is really a huge ego boost, which is why I think we're probably all on the custom cars regardless, you know? Right. In the eighties, it was, the, the car was kind of an extension of your clothing. Remember we wore the, the Z Cavaricis oh, and, yeah. you know, Vans and we wore that specific clothes and did our hair and the car was kind of an extension. It was a status thing. You know, we weren't driving Ferraris, so everyone knew they were cheap cars. But you would customize them for the style. And this is mini trucks, VWs, and there were other cars. There were muscle cars out there and lifted trucks and and other things. But it was just, I don't know, cruising was the best. And I had some gut feeling that it wasn't going to last forever. So that's kind of why I did it so much. I'm obsessive anyway, I guess. I probably would have done it either way. But I'm glad I got in as much as I could when I could. Um, Now, have you heard that they lifted the ban on cruising in L.A.? Oh, really? I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some short video. I'm not that familiar with it, but so like I said, I used to cruise Magnolia and at one point they blocked off and made it impossible. You couldn't cruise it. I mean, I remember one time going down there and they had a cop at every churn parked there. So yeah. you couldn't get back in and they, they killed it. And we were still cruising around cause we knew all the back roads but it, they just completely killed it because, you know, it, there was, you know, a, a few bad apples spoiled a bunch. Right. And a couple of little bad things happened. They're like, they put the kibosh on it. And I guess that happened in LA with cruising. Um, well, but they, ho- ho- hopefully it's back, man. Let's bring it back for the kids. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot of that. They had a lot of that back in the day over here because it would start out well with like just cruising and then rival schools or different guys from different schools. There was, there was always some action on the strip here. And I know what they've changed recently is they put, um, they put divider up all the way down, like a, like a six foot tall kind of iron gate divider down the middle of Vegas Boulevard so that, you know, people can't be running across the street and they've got to take these, these, um, these bridges to walk over and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, still, you know, we do that for our one crazy weekend we all get together and we end up doing a, a big strip cruise on Friday night. And I've invited some of the mini truck guys to come out and join us just so we could kind of have a whole eighties takeover there on the strip, just because 
it would be just cool to see that. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I honestly, like I said, Volkswagen and mini trucks are one and the same to me. It's a, in the 80s, it was a similar culture. Now, today, if you go to a mini truck show or VW show, there's, there's, I think, noticeable differences. Both great groups, just they're a little different. Yes. But yeah, it would be a great combo show for, again, and I, we were talking about this earlier, to bring in the old school BMX guys and the old school skateboard guys. Because if you had a bug, you probably had a skateboard or a BMX bike. Same with the mini truck. A lot of the professional mini truckers or professional, professional BMX riders had mini trucks or mini truck style cars. Right. And there's a couple guys. I think Mike Dominguez had a Volkswagen. And there's Mike Dominguez had a six seven twenty with Porsche alloys. It was yeah. it was Radberry, you know, raspberry color. Yeah. Uh, dump bed, snug top shell. I love that truck. Yeah. There's there's so many different, so many crossovers and and overlaps in that scene. But one of the things I want to talk about is as you're a, a car enthusiast and you kind of get involved with. Uh, magazines and whatnot, which was like the pinnacle of the car guy stuff is to be involved with the magazine. Talk to me a little bit about how you get involved because where you met first. So you're connected to VW Trends through Dan Ledbetter. You guys worked yeah. together at um, McMullen Argus. Right. And, well, it had many names, but it was McMullen Argus when I got there. <laughs> right. And now you started there after Tom McMullen had passed or was he still yeah. around? No, Tom, Tom had passed. And in fact, when I got there, Ken Yee had just passed oh, really? and it was McMullen and Yee and Ken Yee saved that company. Uh, but it, what was interesting to me at the time when I got there is everyone had a little picture of Ken Yee on their computer when I got there, but I didn't see any pictures of uh, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I hear he was, uh, I, I'm, I'm working with some guys that possibly doing a podcast just on his history guys that work with him directly because it's definitely, uh, he was definitely a, a character without question. You know, he was a character. There's incredible stories. You've got to get Dan on the podcast, to talk to him about that. He's got some stories, but I think they should make a movie. I think they can make a movie. If not about the publishing specifically about Tom, it was wild. Like what, one example I'll give you is, do you know, on the magazines, like, you know, truck and street rotter, VW trends, auto sound security. Do you remember the little, little picture icon of the, cougar yes up by the logo okay tom had a cougar tom had a real cougar yeah. that would walk around the parties the wild parties they had yeah so that that had some meaning oh yeah no that that i hear some insane insane stories about that guy so that's that's a future podcast that i'm gonna do with some of the guys that have worked with him um, that'll be awesome so Talk to me about your start at Auto Sound and Security and how you get involved with that. It, it, and before you get started, like as you're doing that, are you already into car audio when you do that? Or is it just kind of something that, how do you get involved working for uh, Auto Sound and Security? Um, well, I tell you what, I, I always loved magazines. I mean, it was our social media, right? Mm -hmm. But I remember as a kid in 77 getting my first magazine. I, I begged my mom to buy me this Street Shopper magazine in Safeway. Had, I, all I can remember is that a white cover with, with two, two choppers on the cover. And I, I, the whole time in my young life, I loved magazines. And I was, especially with BMX, I was into BMX Plus and BMX Action. Right. I got all those magazines. And I always was like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'm like, they don't, I couldn't get a job at a magazine. They must hire the best of the best out of college. And, you know, only the elite can become a magazine editor or whatever, right? Right. 
So fast forward to the mid eighties, I'm ridiculously into car stereos. I mean, it's, it's, I set everything aside and it was all about car stereos. I was into car stereo competition. I competed in Iaska and I was a stereo installer as my job. Um, in fact, you know, in high school, I started installing stereos for people and that led me to my first, you know, real job. Well, my first real job was a bike shop, but my, you know, one of my early real jobs, but, uh, one day my buddy knew a gal who was a copy editor and got a job at McMullen. And he wound up getting a job at McMullen because he was a photographer and they needed a photographer. And one day he's walking through the halls and they're like, Hey, yeah, the guy just quit auto sound security. You know, anybody who's into car stereos. And my buddy's like, yeah, I know a guy who's crazy into car stereos. Nice. And, and I showed up and I interviewed with um, Bud Lang and Steve Stilwell and I wound up getting the job. And this was the most amazing thing in the world because I got to do what I loved for a living. Oh, yeah. I mean, go to fly around to stereo shows, do tech articles, meet people. And then I had access. Like I remember one day I called up Wayne Harris and Wayne Harris was big over at Rockford. And you know, he's a real big guy in that industry. Yeah. And he taught and he, I called him and he talked to me like, now, in hindsight, if you learn it no way, and he's the nicest guy in the world, he would have talked to me as just some 16-year-old kid, right. uh, too. But it just gave me access into that industry. Um, the funny thing is, I said I um, interviewed with Steve Still, who ultimately hired me, and may he rest in peace. Unfortunately, he passed away last year. Um, but he uh, he's the guy who hired me, and he was the editor of Street Shopper of that first magazine I bought in the seventies. Oh really? Yeah. It was just this weird kind of small world that kind of came together for me. But I would say this, it's like any kid who wanted to be a magazine editor, I say, you know, go for it. Any of us could have been in hindsight, if I could have gotten hold of BMX action or BMX plus as a kid, maybe I could have contributed something. I just didn't think that was possible. Now, of course, magazines are relatively gone these days. But if the, you know, kids out there have a dream about something they want to do, do it, give it a shot. Don't assume Yeah. because I go oh, real quick. I guess there's a point that I was getting to that they, they weren't hiring the best of the best out of college when I went to McMullen. Right. And Steve's whole angle was I'm going to hire enthusiasts like me. I was crazy, super into car stereos, right? You can't teach that, no. but he could teach me to photograph and he could teach me to write, which he did. It's interesting because you look in the world today and so many people, you know, they, they'll push people to get a degree in this or a degree in that to try to pursue a career in something that people are passionate about. And it makes more sense to hire an enthusiast that's passionate about what they do because it's not just a job to them. They're going to commit the time, the effort, the energy. They're going to work the extra hours out of passion for the job and not really you know, for the paycheck, they're doing it because they love it. And I think that's one of the things that would really make, make businesses successful is to hire people that are passionate about the industry that they're in, you know, and now absolutely getting back to you working at auto sound security. So now you start working over there. And like you said, I mean, back in, back in the eighties, that's like, you're the king of Instagram. Like you're Instagram famous because, Hey, there's the guy from the magazine. Like everybody's trying to, Hey, will you feature my car in the magazine? Would you like to do it? Hey, can I give you an amplifier? Can you check this out? You know, 
What was that experience like going from being like a car auto enthusiast to all of a sudden, you know, now you're, now you're in the, now you're an industry guy and, right. uh, and, and part of the magazine. So what, uh, what was that transition like? Yeah, I, I became famous in a really small little world. No, it was super fun because I go places and, and people recognize me and it was kind of surreal. And I would just start talking to people and it's like, cause they had the thing, like I said about Wayne Harris, like, well, he won't talk to me, which I was wrong. Wayne would have, but I was the same way. I'm like, yeah, dude, let's talk, let's talk about car stairs. I can go do this all day. It was super fun. Like I said, like you were saying, I'm an enthusiast and I want to do this every day. And the thing about it was it was easy because I had a lot of this stuff off the top of my head. Right. When I later became the editor of import racer, which I wasn't a super import enthusiast, I, I was a car enthusiast, but not super into it. Um, I had to research every little detail, but in car stereos, I knew that mostly off the top of my head. And then I had this other thing. I had access to all these, you know, engineers and professionals and I could ask them questions and that, you know, I could learn even more stuff than I had access at the time. Remember no internet. You can't Google anything. There's no Google. Oh yeah. So how do you get information? And it, when I was coming up in car stereos, it was all misinformation. People would tell you, you had a question and ask five people, you get six different answers. Right. And, and no one knew what they were talking about. So for me, I, I started researching into home, uh, home audio because that had a much better kind of, I don't know, set of information that was available. So I researched any way I could today. I'd be on, you know, Google and YouTube and, and researching all this stuff. Yeah. But it was great to be able to, I would go into places where there was some engineer talking about something and I'd ask him a question and I would just listen. And that was kind of my thing is I had enough technical knowledge to take really technical information, figure it out enough that I could explain it to kind of the newbies. Right. And I think that really helped me with the magazine. Cause I did a ton of tech articles and I'll give you kind of one example. I used to go to a lot, uh, Jason Lee over at, um, well, and I forgot the name of the stereo shop, uh, competition stereo. Right. He, uh, he had a, a really good high end installer who did, I mean, he did motorization fireplace, he did all this stuff. So I would go there and photograph tech articles. Well, that guy kind of was not really happy when I showed up with my camera because he's like, you're going to, you're going to, I finally asked him, I go, what, what's wrong? Why are you kind of unhappy when I show up? It's like, cause you're going to show all these people my secrets. And they won't need me anymore or they won't hire me. Right. And, and months later after, cause Jason's like, no dude, you're going to let him photograph and run these articles. All of a sudden he, he I, I go over there one day and he runs to the door. Hey Paul, what's up? You got your camera? You going to do a tech article? I'm like, what's up? Well, I learned that he found out that it was the opposite of what he thought. People weren't going to just not need him anymore. They were going to go, Oh man, I saw you do that motorization, the fiberglass work. I could never do that, man. Can you do my stereo for me? Right. So he became, he became kind of a hero in, you know, in the, in the culture. And that was kind of one of my things with the magazine. I want to create heroes. So when I went to car shows, uh, stereo shows, I would photograph people with their stereo mm -hmm. and I would name them because I wanted to create this hero, not just here's some amps in a trunk. Right. Well, here's some amps in a trunk with a competitor in this class and, you know, and create heroes. Yeah, there was there was a lot of, uh, you know, 
back in those days, getting in the magazine was like this pinnacle of achievement where it was like, man, I made it in the magazine. That, that means my car's officially like to a certain level. And, you know, it, it really said something for us back in those days because you didn't have, you couldn't get Instagram famous overnight. No, but no, there was at least a, a four month lead time because of the magazine delay, but yeah, right, you're but, right. But what I'm, but my point is, you know, having the opportunity to get featured in a magazine and get your stuff seen, it's like, it, it's like, it, it's something that gives you some level of credibility, you know, and it, especially like you and your buddies are all trying to see who's got the baddest car or the best system or whatever the case is. And that's like one of those feathers in your cap where you're like, wow, you weren't in the magazine. So, you know, it's one of those, those little jabs you do with your buddies. But, you know, when you look at the culture and the things that were going on back then, it's funny because car audio, the technology's evolved a ton. The show cars are really, the over the top show cars are a lot the same. And a lot of that technology they started doing back then, the motorized panels, the fiberglass, the Lexan, like all that stuff, it's still it's still being used today. And, you know, I remember being younger, we would we'd make fake passes to go inside. Uh at the time, the big one for car audio was um CES would usually right. have real big car audio. And then I had an opportunity to go this year and it's like there's almost nothing for car audio at the CES no, show anymore. It's sad now, CES, because I remember I used to have to go every year. And it was it was a show. We had the one hall we had, and it was a party. It was great. It was all these car stereo people, all these custom builds. And I went, you know, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, whenever I went last, and it was like sad because it was car audio is just kind of a side note to electronics at this point where it was right. its own thing. Um well, yeah. talking about car audio, so what's your what's your brand profile? Head unit, amplifiers, speakers. You can pick anything of any era at any time you want. What's your what's your right, lineup? I, I guess the easiest thing to say is I'm an Orion guy. Because <laughs> um, because there was Orion and Rockford. It was kind of like right. Ford and Chevy. And I never liked never liked Rockford. No disrespect to any Rockford people. It just wasn't my thing. I was an Orion guy. I used the Orion Red Amps. I still have some. Um, I used to. I started with a single 225. I had 16 speakers wired to it down to half an ohm. Then I went to two. I found pretty quick you got to have two amps because right. you got to split it at the sub. You know, split it at about 100 hertz. Otherwise, you know, there's not enough dynamic range to handle the highs and the lows at the same time. But yeah, Orion Red was totally my jam. Speakers, I was all over the map. Um, but uh, in my mini truck, I had M&M speakers, which that's an old company. M&M's back in the day, they had like a blue, like a blue foam and a blue cone. Some of them were translucent, yeah, weren't they? I think maybe. And they had the, the Rose speaker, which wasn't popular because the guy named a speaker after his um his wife, which is nice, but it's like, ah, uh, it's not quite the audience. It's not cool. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it's not yeah. skull, skull dagger death punch. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Now you're talking. That's that. <laughs> yeah. Read the room, brother. Read the room. Yeah. But um, uh, I always like the Alpine head units. I have an Alpine head unit to this day in my truck. I'd love a 7909, yeah. uh, 7909 CD player. And I still love CD players. I hate MP3. I, it's compressed audio. And it's like, I hate to see that the CD mechanisms are going away well you know interestingly enough i just started going down this rabbit hole with my chop top 
So I, I've got a chop top that was on the cover of Trends twice, and it nice. had a full Rockford Fosgate system in it, and that was run off of three punch seventy fives, and uh, I can't I don't recall the head unit they had in there. And then as I got the as I bought the car. The guy still had the Lexan box in the back. The two Punch Pro Series 10s were back there. The, the cones were a little bleached. The surrounds were haggard. And then it still had four, five and a quarter uh, mid-range, two, three-inch mid-range and some tweeters. And so I've gone to a company online called, uh, I think it's Speakerworks. Not Speakerworks. That's the name of the uh, Speakers, et cetera. Um, sim- I, I think Simply I Speakers, they're called. Oh, okay. And they sell all new surrounds. So I've now right. re- I restored the the Rockford Fosgate Pro Tens. I re- I resurrounded all the the mid range because it was all just dried from age. And then I started going on a search for amplifiers because there was no amplifiers with the car. So I end up tracking down a guy here in town. He runs a one of the car audio Facebook pages for the vintage car audio stuff. This guy's got to have a hundred amps in his garage and he's got every single orion amp known to man because he's, nice. he's he like you he's an orion guy and then i went there to kind of see what he has and i hit him up and said do you have any old fosgate the punch stuff now when i was uh so i'm 51 so i was a little bit uh, i don't know how old you are but in, in I'm 53 yeah so i'm a little younger and when i was when, when i was really in the car audio, I couldn't, I could not afford Orion, the punch. I couldn't afford any of that stuff. I was rocking some Sherwood, some MTX, <laughs> MTX was like the pinnacle. And then I was a big JBL amp guy because they had the, they came out that five channel amp where I sure. was able to, you know, be able to run a whole system in my bug on that five channel. But I did like MTX Pro Thunder, not the Pro Thunders, but MTX Road Thunder subs. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but I'm uh, again, head unit, I'm all Alpine. And I just, as I've been going down this rabbit hole, I end up buying a, a CD changer that connects to the head unit, my Alpine head unit. And it's the one, I, I don't know the model off the top of my head, but it's got, you can program the text on the screen. So it'll read nice. the tracks. But I was listening to that and realizing, cause I grabbed my old CD binder and I, and I hooked it up on my test bench and I'm listening to it. And I'm putting these old CDs in, and there's substantially a, a, a noticeable difference in the audio quality between stuff that's on your phone and on the CDs. Yeah, even the least compressed audio of an MP3 and MP4 wave file, whatever they do, it's compressed. You're throwing away data. It's like a pixelated photo. So I've never liked that. I'm all about, you know, if you're going to go do some critical listening, you need a CD. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I know what you're saying. They've got the technology in car stereos today. Like I've got a a new Dodge Ram truck and it's got the factory Alpine system in it. And it is a phenomenal sounding system for a factory system. Like good enough to where it's like, I don't have a need for anything greater in my work truck. I mean, it's like, it's great. Um, but in my bug, in my other cars, I just, my 65 Riviera, I just got done doing Alpine head unit two. PPI amps and then it's uh, some infinity 12s and it's a system I bought off a guy I bought a whole system of a guy's escalade like in the mid 2000s <laughs> or something and it's been sitting so I finally got to putting that in and I'm starting to kind of build up these you know these systems again and so now I as I was going on the search for three punch 75s I didn't get a punch 75 but I made a deal with a guy and I got a punch 30 a punch 45 a punch uh 
150 maybe yeah and up punch 150 and the 75 seem to be fairly elusive like when you're looking for amps for sale because i think people would just yeah. jump from the 45 to the 150 you know? I don't remember ever seeing a lot of 75s. I remember a lot of 45s. I remember a lot of 150s. And I remember a lot of 650s or maybe 300s and 650s, which that was kind of a different amp because that had the case and fan. And, and like I say, I'm an Orion guy, but I would love any of those. I would love a Punch 150, a 45. Um, if I could find one at a decent price. Yeah. But I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of new old stock amps because I had stuff that I got back in auto sound. Like I've got some. I've got power class, PPI power class amps, new old stock. I've got really, I've got a, I've got a 150 HCCA, which is not the two channel, right. a four channel. And what it is, is it's a 280 GX for the highs, which you run it, you know, you run it at four ohms for, for, so it's clean. Right. Right. But then it's a 225 HCCA for the base so that you can, you know, drop the impedance down to half an ohm and get more power to the base. And it's all in one red case, one, you know, classic red Orion case. Right, right. And that's new in the box. I'm probably going to put that in my bug. Nice. Uh, oh, I've got, I've got some old Zapco. I, I never do remember the exact name. It's like the System 200A or something like that. The, remember those multi-piece amps? You could do them in two yeah. or three pieces. I've, I've actually got a pair of those, yeah. which those are rare as hell. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the variety of stuff that was available back then for because like you, you just said zapco zapco yeah. was like the high-end echelon of like really expensive high yep. quality sound type stuff in my my last truck i had a, a single zapco five channel i think it was in there and image dynamic subs and morel mm -hmm. sure, separates up front so it was like so it went like really high end on my on my 06 truck when I got it because I did a full custom system in that. But uh, now that I'm getting in kind of the 80s stuff, I'm starting to go retro. And it's funny because, you know, it's one of the things that I've been thinking about lately. Like the quality of the amplifiers and things like that, you know, because everyone says like, oh, the old school stuff is better. And I've been really yeah. trying to figure out how do you figure out if the old school stuff is actually better or we're more nostalgic? Because, you know, like, amplifiers for rock guys like a tube amp nothing sounds like a tube amp versus right solid state I, I think that's kind of you hit on it that's kind of the thing it's like the old analog amps probably do sound better than the new digital class d amps and it's probably fairly insignificant like these people who are all into vinyl and say it sounds better you know what it's i say it's whatever you like right. i like the old stuff but i don't collect old speakers because like you said you got to recon them and it's kind of not the same if i found a good speaker that i you know really wanted i would do it uh but i i stick with the electronics i've got amplifiers and equalizers um and head units but even for, for a daily driver i would keep to a modern head unit because i need the hands free but i've got a couple old head units that are you know competition type uh top of line head units and i want to use them and i'll probably put one in the bug because when i'm driving the bug i doubt i'm going to be on a phone call because i got to be shifting right, right. <laughs> Now, so the, so you have a bug now. What year's the bug? Because the bug you have now is some of the ones that we're seeing in the VW Trends for some of the, the step by steps or the how tos and stuff like that. Yeah. So my first bug I said was a '68. Sadly, my second bug was this one. So it took me that long to get another bug, and it's many years. So it's a '64 pan. It's a '65 body, and nothing on that thing matches. Like for example. The turn signals up front on the fenders, right. the left guts are different than the right guts. It's like, how is that even possible? Right. It's just, I say that your car was built in a junkyard. And some guy was like, yeah, yeah that'll fit. Bring it over. Um, but it's, um, 
it's a lowered, I call it a 65 cause it's a 65 body. It's got an aftermarket rag top. I put, um, white steelies with the VW, uh, hubcaps because I couldn't find any Porsche nipple caps. I would go Porsche alloys, but that's a lot more expensive these days. And right. I do, I do like the look from the eighties when we used to, I think when we started getting lower and lower in the bugs, people started going back to those steel wheels cause they tuck so much. And, uh, I just, I like the look. And so that's, that's where I went. I just, uh, had the engine done. Um, I've never had it running right. And so I had the engine redone down at Doug's bugs and bunnies. And it, it, so when I bought it, the guy said it was a 1776 mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, Uh-oh. okay, maybe Uh-oh. it is. Well, it, exactly. Exactly. When I bought it, I was un, no, not delusional at all. I go, maybe it is. And maybe it isn't. Right. And sure enough, I measured it. The, the born strokes, right. It was a 1776. I had an angle 110 cam. It's what the guy said it was. So I'm rebuilding it and fish down there. He's like, you know, for an extra like 700 bucks, I could throw a longer, a, a, a stroke or crank in this and make it a 1904. Yeah. Well, I mean, the case is apart. How could I resist that? Right. So I just put some HPMX dual carbs on it. But so I call that project cruising, which goes back to my thing. I was, I was into cruising. I, I always wanted to go cruising in my bug, but unfortunately I never got to really do that. I cruised in my mini truck, which was a, a good second best, but that's kind of the thing I'm going to re- I'm trying to build a bug the type of bug that we would see cruising in Southern California in the eighties. And so that's project cruising. And uh, that's just a series of tech articles that are, that are going to continue to run in, in VW trans. Well, and I think that I, I think, I think you hit some on the head because you know, with my, with my first bug, I, it was a 1962. Uh, I mean, it was a real piece of crap. It was like once <laughs> one side was shaved rain gutter and suicide door the other side was regular, and that was a 62 with a 65 door on it. So the the door thickness of the top did match. I mean, it was it was Project Chaos, right? But I had it. I had nice set of smoothies on there, 135s and 165s, and I had uh, the, the Steelys were painted Ford Grabber blue, and then I mm. had Porsche nipple hubcaps on there, and that Love thing, those. and that thing just looked so good i mean to me i mean probably a lot of people were just had one red baby turbo mirror and primer well the car was in primer <laughs> had one, one turbo mirror but you know that's what you saw back in the day and if you saw somebody that had like a clean primered car you'd give them a lot of respect too because you could tell and that's kind of the different thing you see right a lot of a lot of people have ratty stuff even yeah. back in the day while you were under construction you'd get the car primered one color it would still be clean although it wasn't painted you know what i mean yeah, and that was the thing. If you go back to the 80s shows, whether it was a mini truck show or a bug show, mm-hmm. you kind of had to have your stuff painted. And if you didn't, if it was primary, that was okay. But you were under construction. You would paint that on the back window. Um, it was it was a thing. And so the rat rod thing, you know, you were there. You, it didn't exist. Yeah. And it's cool. I do appreciate the rat rod stuff today. Um, but I think it's just kind of a – a thing that's developed one, it is cool. And two, it's like, man, I, I can't afford a paint job today because back in the day it, for a couple thousand dollars, you get your car painted, right? A nice paint job. Right. And now what is it? 10 grand. I don't even know. Oh, it's, it's, it's insanity. I mean, and it's, and it's the labor has gone crazy. It's the, yeah. mater, the material cost by themselves is through the roof, you know? Oh yeah. So, I mean, there's, there, there's a, there's a way to, to get yourself something decent looking. And, and the older we get, it's almost like 
Find something as close as you can to done. Get the best deal you can. Change the wheels on it and start driving it. You know that is that is a hundred percent correct. And I and I wish I had done that. This car was a little further gone than I thought. Now I was close because it sat the way I wanted. It had the rag top. It had all these elements I did want. Right. But an, unfortunately, it was a little rougher than I should have bought. I should have saved up, bought more of a complete car that I could tinker with versus that I have to tear apart and really redo. Yeah. So you're so right on that. Well, I mean, it gives good content for the magazine, and it's good to see a lot of that stuff, you know, get out there in the magazine and go through and do some stuff because, you know, that's part of what made VW Trends and Hot VWs and all those magazines cool is they, they had the how-tos. and. To get a real, I mean, I've seen some of the how-tos you've done. They're pretty detailed and broken down. So they're definitely uh, they're definitely something that's viable because sometimes you'll see how-tos put in a magazine and they're just kind of a, it's kind of a step-by-step by a guy who may, may or may not have done it, but like just, it's almost like instructions versus like, here's the reality. You're going to hit a problem yeah. like this or a situation like that, you know, so... There's... That's exactly it. And that's the angle I take at it is that here's, here's a guy really doing it in his garage for real. Like when I did the, the gas tank thing, right. I really did that. And you know, I learned, and if I can learn a trick or two along the way that I can pass along to make something easier that you're not thinking of, or maybe so that you have the part rather than, Oh man, I didn't realize I needed this socket for this. Now I have to run out and get it. That's I need to add some value with my tech articles. And that's, that's a goal anyway. Well, it just makes it, it makes it more viable, you know, and, and, you know, my brother just started doing a series. My brother owns the wagon and he just started doing a series of, uh, just how to videos on working on the car. Cause we would, we would look at stuff and I'd say, look at these how to videos. I'm like, it's the worst filming. It's the worst angle. There's no lighting. Like you can't even tell what the guy's doing. And then, you know, it's really beneficial when you can watch something. And I think especially when looking at videos and magazines as well. It's like you're reading it and they never get to the point until like two paragraphs in and you're like, man, just get to the point of what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a hard part. That, I, I try, I do that and I'll read it over and I go out, cut that out, cut that out. I, I do YouTube content now too. Same thing. I cut out every second that isn't necessary because someone said something that's like, people are actively looking for a way to reason to back out and people were actively looking for a you know, reason to flip the page and go to the, you know, the feature or something more entertaining. Yeah. Now with, with working on your bug project, now you got the motor back in there or you, or you don't have it back in yet. No, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to mold engine tin now. <laughs> oh, really? So this is all the stuff I didn't do in the eighties. You know, I never pulled an engine in the eighties. I never modified the tin to fit. I'm doing that all now. And I got to say, it's, it's kind of a pain in the neck and a headache, but I love it. It's so fun. It so takes me back to my childhood. And um, so I'm just, I'm trying to make it clean. I'm trying to make it what I want. It had a, a single carb on the engine. So I, I always wanted an 1835 with dual carbs. Well, now I have a 1904 with dual carbs and I'm cleaning up the engine tin. May, I'm trying to make it look the way I wanted it to look. Um, and then I'm going to get it back in the car, hopefully before summer so I can actually drive it. Yeah, we definitely did see you down here at uh, one crazy weekend, man. It would definitely, you know, I, I've often thought if I can get enough people to kind of bring it in together and, and get a little more kind of a an, an 80s aspect of some things, it would be super cool, I think, to do 
to do something to the effect where you could get some old school cars that would be on display, a little sound off, a little something, just something, just Heck some yeah. kind of throwback from the heyday of car shows. As I, as I go through some of these magazines and look at the car shows, I mean, they were jammed with people, jammed with all these, you know, people with uh, crazy hair and crazy cars. And uh, it was just definitely, it seemed like such a, and maybe it's more nostalgic than anything. It was just such a fun time because it was like everything was so fresh and new and you weren't overexposed to everything all the time like you are now. On And, and, the, and that's the truth. You, you're totally right. It was, a, like I said, it was a better time. That was our social media. And I, I met a guy recently, a couple of years back, and we started talking and we hung around the same circles in Corona, but we'd never met before. And we had to cross paths at some point, but he said the best thing. He said, Growing up in Southern California in the 70s and 80s was magical, and it was. And, and the whole uh, cruising and the, the car culture, you know, the, especially the mini truck of VW culture, uh, it was just a great time. And I'm sure the same thing you said about the hot rod culture and the lowrider culture. Yeah. So I love your thinking of, of the way you're doing the show. And I had this kind of dream. It's like, man, I would love to put on – because I, I think back to um, – the, the California truck jamboree or the bug jam that Al Martinez did. Yeah. And um, I think, man, I would love to do that, but encompass everything you just said, Volkswagen, mini trucks, bugs, skateboards, and, and bring back all this eighties lifestyle and the whole eighties music the whole time. Uh, my big thing was eighties alternative. Of course, I love the early rap too. Yeah. It's, you know, the eighties alternative thing they, there was a, this earlier this summer, there was uh a deal out at Huntington beach was called dark wave fest. And nice. it was like all these bands, all these new wave bands. And I looked at it and it was like 1200 bucks a ticket for, probably, Oh my gosh. You're I mean, you're talking new order was playing tears for fears was playing. And then like she wants revenge. I mean, there was, there was just a lineup of all these, you know, dark wave, you know, cure ish sounding music Susie and the banshees yeah 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 like like that type of stuff and just tons of it for uh for i think it was a day or two on the beach in Huntington oh, wow. beach and so there's there's this huge resurgence in that and that's what i started thinking i started thinking man if i could just do anything else on this one crazy weekend it would be cool to have like an alternative 80s night a top 40 or like a like a top 40 80s nights and then like a like a kind of eighties, eighties kind of punk night. You know what I mean? Where you could have different, because you could get different bands to play at the hotel. And I thought that would be just super cool to do something like that. But as, as, as the weekend continues to grow and it becomes more of a, a destination event, we're going to start building on that. But I definitely think there's, there's something to be said for that. Especially I thought with the twin literature show to expound it to being Volkswagens, skateboards and BMX. And it could be more of a, uh, like a culture, an '80s culture um, toy and lit show. I think that would be super cool. You know, it would absolutely be cool. And the music just fits right. I mean, you couldn't do it without the music. The music is such a big part of it. That's why I think these kids are so into the older music now. Yeah, because the music was just great. I mean, not just the '80s stuff, but I mean, before that, the music was so much better, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. No, there's. Uh... There's definitely there, there's definitely something. <laughs> you don't even want to talk about some of the today's hits. It's just <laughs> it's pure insanity. But you know, with all the stuff that you've 
got going on. You also do your day job is a professional photographer is what you do. That's your day job. Yeah. I got on the magazine and I did that for 10 years to being a magazine editor. And I loved it, but I really liked the photography aspect. Cause I mean, I learned photography on the job mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I go, you know, I want to be a freelance photographer. So when I quit my staff position, I started being a freelance photographer and I photographed everything. Um, unfortunately all the freelance magazine gigs or most of them have kind of went away as the magazines are going away. Uh, but I, I do photography and I also now have kind of started getting into, uh, YouTube content creation. I have a channel called long shot garage where I do kind of DOI home improvement stuff. And uh, I guess I've been fortunate. I've always had a job or a career in something I loved, you know, yeah. my first, my first real job was at a bicycle shop. And then of course I was a stereo installer. I was a magazine editor. I was a photographer and now I'm doing the YouTube stuff or I did a lot of home improvement, uh, when I got my first house and, you know, around 2000. So yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that. No. And, and being a, being a photographer, do you, whenever you're looking at a magazine or, anything's got photographs in it. Do you start getting hypercritical? Like who did the lighting on this? Where'd they get this angle? What are they? There's 15 different ways. Do you have yeah. that curse when you're looking at stuff now? Yeah. Oh yeah. You can't help it. You'll, you'll read stuff and go, that's not right. You know, this comma's out of place. So I'll look at one, how it's written. Not, not that I'm the greatest writer in the world. I only look like I'm a good writer because of a copy editor yeah. editing my stuff. And so I'll look at that. I'll look at the layout and I'll look at the photos and yeah, it's not that I'm critical in bash photos, more like I go, wow, look at that photo. Look how well it's all the light and the composition. I like how they laid this out. It's kind of more that direction. Sometimes you'll see something and you go, Ooh, well, maybe that's, they could have changed this, but yeah, there's, there's uh, a lot of, a lot of effort went into producing magazines and you look at today, like the magazine, obviously it's gone by the wayside with popular, um, you know, with everything going to social and digital and all that stuff. I mean, you, you look at what the iPhones replaced, it's replaced so many different industries and just have, I mean, you're talking just the camera and the digital camera industry, it's destroyed it, right? There's, I mean, who's buying a digital camera other than quasi or semi-professional photographers, right? Yeah. The, the point and shoot, uh, digital camera that, yeah. Do they even make those anymore? I mean, your phone's always with you and it takes great photos unless you need a higher, you know, a higher level camera why you know why bother with anything but a cell phone yeah and that have you ever shot for magazines outside of the country i mean for different automotive automotive genres other than you know because you did do some stuff for uh street trucks is, is that what you did some street trucks oh, I, yeah i've i've been all kinds of magazines out of the country some probably i can't think of anything off the top of my head but um yeah i mean i so i was at mcmullen Argus. It was McMullen E and then it changed its names like 10 times, but that's the big company. Everyone knows it with street rotter and trucking and, and all that. And so I, you know, I had a mini truck that was a tech article, tech series in uh, called beat to neat in mini trucking. And I did stuff for the various magazines. And then I was over at white visionary, which was, that's a long story, but it's a spinoff deal where the E family, after the non-compete, after they sold McMullen, started another magazine company. Mm-hmm. And that's where I did Import Racer. And I did stuff for Street Trucks and Knives Illustrated. And uh, bet, not Better Homes and Gardens. They had a home magazine. I did stuff for them. Um, I, as a freelancer, I would shoot for anyone. I did a lot of motorcycle stuff, like Harley stuff. Um, we have a lot of custom bike builders here in Phoenix. 
so I shot like a ton of stuff for John Shope at Dirty Bird Concepts and, um, you know, uh, just a lot of the, the bike guys. Because, you know, I'm not a motorcycle guy. I like dirt bikes. I'm not a street bike guy. Right. But I, I get enthusiasts. If you are an automotive enthusiast, I get you. I get your passion. I get how serious that is to you. And even, like I said, when I was an import racer and I wasn't the number one, you know, import guy in the world, I would really respect all the people I talk to. It's like, I know that you're more passionate about this than me. So tell me your story and teach me stuff. Yeah. You say that about motorcycles and, and I've had a motorcycle. I've had some street bikes. I've had a dirt bike and I definitely, uh, like I love looking at motorcycles, but then my size and my body shape, I kind of look like, uh, I look like a, I look like a giant on the thing. <laughs> and I, like, there's the, the one guy, uh, I think it, he, he passed away building motorcycles. His name was Rook. And he I built, almost mentioned him, Jesse Rook. Yeah. I yeah. knew him and photographed some of his stuff. Yeah. And he built like some of the wild, I mean, cause they were almost like, like, like bicycle looking motorcycles had a real retro kind of vibe to them. It had a kind of a Schwinn Stingray kind of vibe. Yeah. That was kind of his thing. Yeah. And the, and, and the Rook elements of the Rook meaning a, a chess piece Rook. Yeah. He did that. He did a lot of his parts at that design, but yeah, he was a cool guy. Sad of his passing. Yeah. There's, there's uh there's so many levels to the motorsports thing. And especially if you're an enthusiast, it's, I think it's super easy just to get, to get involved in and make that transition from like you're into car audio. Now you're working for car audio magazine and then you're in a, you're in the Volkswagens and you're working with people and you know, working with VW trans and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's something that kind of feeds and fuels the passion to make what you're doing that much more enjoyable. It's not like you got to go like, Hey man, the copiers broke down. You got to get, you know, like you got to get your report done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it, it's, it, I think it's a, a dream opportunity and, and like a guy, you know, I still have a gigantic magazine collection in my garage of just so many magazines. And I, and I keep thinking like, man, what, what am I doing? But now because I do the podcast, I use them for reference material, right. To get, yeah. to go back and read the stories that were done so long ago. And I just, someone just handed me this gigantic stack of like 25 years of magazines all in order. So it was like, I couldn't just walk away from it. <laughs> and no, for sure. And they're great looking that back at old magazines. I love looking at old street. I have a ton of magazines too, street rotters and trucking and, uh, you know, just all the old stuff. Of course I have a ton of the stuff I did. Yeah. Well, I, my, I own a 65 Buick Riviera and I only own that because I was installing car audio and 1995 issue of car stereo view came out and Jimmy Ray Vaughn had a lime green Riviera in there with, yeah. a, with two jail, it spoke to you. <laughs> yeah. Two jail audio eights, uh, Sony CDX 2001, a VCR, uh, in the trunk, like all tuck and rolled interior, the fifth order box ported through the rear speaker grill, like all the stuff. And I'm like, I blew up my Volkswagen. And it was this car. Just, it just got me. Like I saw this car. And I was like, that's such a cool looking car. And I remember finishing my 63 bug and I, I took it out. I mean, this car had been a project that I'd had for five, six years, which might as well have been an eternity at that point in my life. And I took it out after finishing the motor, called out my buddy. <laughs> we raced in the middle street. I seized the motor up. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with Volkswagens. 
I'm getting this 65. I'm getting one of these. And then I bought this, <laughs> I bought this 65 Riviera and it was like a, like a hate purchase. And this car has paid me back in spades ever since I still own it today. I bought it in 96. I still own this car today. And it's That's like, awesome. it's been nothing but like every time I get to a point where something's done, there's one more thing that needs to be done. And one it's, more, it's like the money pit two the, weeks. It'll be done in two weeks. Correct. Correct. So it's funny how these things that we see, because we weren't overexposed to so many cool things. And it's like, we get a magazine and I still, I still have that magazine, like the covers ripped off and all kinds of stuff. But I have that magazine with that article in it because that car, I would just look at the seven or eight pictures over and over and over again. And you study these pictures and look for any little extra tidbit of information you would get that wasn't in the article. And it was just something that it would capture you. And then you would like, that's it. I'm, I'm getting it. You know, there's a couple of cars like that in the Volkswagen world where it was like cat's rag, which was on the cover of, uh, 89, uh, hot VWs or I mean VW trends. And it's like that issue just is like, dude, I got to get one of those. I got that thing is so cool. And it was raspberry oval window with a rag top. And it's just like perfect 80 style of like the blend you know, and so <clears throat> those those magazines at the time, it kind of tempered your your exposure to so many different things, but you only got them once a month. So like the excitement of getting the new magazine in the mail was like, dude, I got to check it out. And now the problem is I think we're so overexposed to stuff like I, I'll be honest, I get a new magazine and I'm like kind of flipping through it fairly quick. Like, all right, what's here waiting for something to kind of really grab my attention. So I think part of it with social media has made magazines have to raise the bar so much higher to where you've really got to put some F it can't just be the same old three angle shot. No, no, you got to make it visually appealing. And then that's where the photography comes in. Like you were saying, you stared at those photos cause they, they drew you in yeah. if they were bad photos. I mean, maybe if they were okay photos, but the car was that good. Right. But, you know, the better the photo, the more it draws you in. That's that's just advertising. There's a lot of detail in advertising photos to keep your eye on the photo. Um, but, of course, you know, the subject, that car, that vehicle, that spoke to you, the lines of the car and all that. And I get what you're saying. And the same with, you know, the modern stuff with the phone and the Internet. You said we were so excited once a month. But now it's every five seconds. Yeah. We're, we're, we're overstimulated and inundated with data all the time. And it doesn't have that meaning to it Well, the, like the, it used to. The excitement's now turned around. So instead of us being excited to see it, we're excited to be the first one to see it and share it with all your buddies. Like, yeah, right. You guys, <laughs> That's I, true. I, I have a list of people that are on my Instagram feed where it's like, oh, I've seen this. Like it's either a stupid meme or something cool. And I just send it through the list like, here you go, guys. I'm sure some people are like, man, not again, Bill. And some people are really appreciative <laughs> of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, 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 there's so many aspects to the hobby from skate. Now, we talked about skateboarding a little bit. Now, were you, were you in a skateboarding or you're more in a BMX? I was more in a BX. I had a skateboard. In fact, I still have, I have a reissue Caballero of my first Caballero, which was the dragon that was sitting on a bearing. Right. And it said Caballero. And I have my last real original issue Caballero board I bought from a uh, surf shop in the mall, like a real skater does. Right. Um, but I still have that one. I sucked at skateboarding. I'm, I'm not a sports guy. I'm uncoordinated. 
Uh, I never was good at that. I was better on bicycles. Um, and I was a little more into bicycles, but I, I love skateboarding. It was just something about it. And the whole, the whole Powell Peralta crew, uh, I don't know. It was just something incredible. Yeah. Skateboarding for me was like skateboarding is my transportation because bikes were too expensive and I had a skateboard. And then all I did was figure out how to trade people something for something else. And, uh, skateboarding was my transportation until I got my first car. And I, you know, I was way more into skateboarding than BMX only because we couldn't afford, you know, a $300 bike or whatever the case was. So for me, it was, it was, uh, skateboarding in a big way. And I've been trying to, what's so funny is my first board, like a lot of people, their first, they'll, they'll try to collect their first bike or whatever. I'm trying to yeah. collect my first board and it's impossible to find this board. What was it? And so it, well, it was a, it was a board that was gifted to me, but by like some lady that was babysitting she had it in her closet and it was a it was a sure grip skateboard sure grip made skateboards for just a few years now mm -hmm. they, there's they have an eric grisham they have a, a steve stedham they've got a, a couple mm -hmm. boards that were pro models this one just had the sure grip logo on the top on the bottom it had a liberty torch and it said 1984 on the bottom of it nice and it's like i tell you there's there's a guy on instagram joe lamb and this guy has like this massive massive skateboard collection in canada he's got this huge garage with a fleet of rad cars a mini ramp and all these skate decks gotta have three or four hundred skate decks in his garage and they're all like framed in a in a in a, in a um like a small case <laughs> hanging on the wall and, Do they go uh, way up high on the wall? I oh, think I may have oh, seen yeah. this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. If you looked up vintage skateboarding on Instagram, it is incredible, this guy's collection. But I've looked for, I can't tell you, and I and I figured the internet would find everything, and I have not been able to find that. So if Must have been a pretty rare board. Yeah. If there's, it might, I don't even know why. Uh, it just had the Liberty Torch on the bottom. It said 1984, and I don't know who, what, or where. Um but yeah, it's uh, one day. One day I'll, uh, I'll I'll track down that original board. But yeah, I've got a I've I've collected a good amount of skateboard stuff, and I actually finally can afford a bike now. I actually have, uh, like everybody else my age and my size, is a twenty nine inch PK Ripper. <laughs> oh, there you go. So I have a twenty four inch Flovel Flyer, which Flovel Flyer is always twenty four. But um, I when I got back into it, because I didn't have a bike for many. Once I got a car, you know, I got out of the bikes. And I came back and I wanted to get a bike to ride. I was looking at GTs, but I'm like, you know, I always wanted a PK Ripper, and but I want something bigger. Like the Flovo Flyer looks like a PK Ripper. It's just 24 inches. And I am looking at it right now. Uh, I still have, I built uh, one, for, I built one in 96. I called SE Direct to buy the frame and forks. And guess who my sales rep was? Who? Perry Kramer. Really? P PK, PK Ripper himself. Yeah. yeah we, well, and it's funny, I didn't know at the time. And, and he's a very distinctive voice if you've ever heard him talk. And I just didn't know I didn't put that together. And his name was Perry. And I have the notes still, and it says Perry. And it, only, it took me a couple of years until later to figure out. It's like, holy crap, Perry Kramer's selling on my Flovo Flyer. That's so but I, I got into collecting old school BMX. And that was a whole other like genre. Like being into BMX, collecting was a whole new thing. And I loved it in the beginning because they were giving the stuff away. I mean, you could get complete bikes for five bucks or a hundred bucks. Really? And oh yeah, now it's unobtainable. Well, I'll tell you an example. And I, I don't know if I ever told the guy 
who I sold it to what I paid for it. So hopefully he's not listening. All right. yeah. I did tell him. So I had, I, I, like you said, BMX bikes were expensive. And I always wanted a torker because the neighbor kid had a blue torker and I wanted a red torker. Well, I, I had a mongoose and I was fortunate to have that mongoose. I'm glad I did. In fact, I have a super goose now because of that. But um, I went searching when I started collecting old school BMX bikes mm-hmm. for torquers. In fact, that's how I found eBay. I was asking some friends, where do I look? He said, you tried eBay? I go, what the hell is eBay? So I got big into eBay like everybody else. But I found in the LA Times, like for sales section, classified ads, a torquer. And I showed up at this guy's house. He had an original 76 or 77 torquer, which was the first year. Candy Apple Red, Moto Mags, Redline V-Bars. All the stuff you would want on this bike built. Wow. And I and I, I bought it from him for $250. Holy crap. Right? And I sold it a couple years back for $4,500. That's just insane that those bikes, that uh, that they're going for that kind of money. But again, it's the scarcity of the bike. And, now, and so the crazy part is now with all the reissue stuff, right? So there's so much stuff right. that's reissued. And I think to some degree, like the... The bikes that the, the bikes that I have, you know, the, or the bike that I have, the twenty nine inch. My brother's got a couple twenty nine inch um, SE Racings, and SE Racings, like, I guess, I guess maybe one of the ones that's been out to the game for a while, doing the the twenty nine inch bikes. But it's I think it's more. But what's crazy with those bikes is they'll come out with a model, and it's the same as everything else, but it's just a specific paint color, pads, and sticker, right. and then they like sell out the day they come out, or they'll do like a collaboration with Vans or something. And these- I, I remember seeing the first one. It was in 2007. It was Nurse Betty White and Blue. It was an OM flyer. Yeah. And um, my jaw hit the ground. They're making retro colors again. Because the bikes before that were ugly. They were black tires and whatever color and blah. Yeah. So it was it had blue tires. It was a white frame. had blue pads and everything. And I had to have it and I bought it. I actually sold it for more than I paid for it later down the road. Well, but they're, they're good investments. They were the... the yeah, they were the first one in because the first that that bike was five hundred fifty dollars new. Now they're like twelve hundred dollars new, yeah. and I think they sell them a limited number on purpose because it's supply and demand. Yeah, so they sell them all out every year, and they know they will, and that's fine. It, it's great, and uh, there's a lot of companies now that have followed suit. Uh, like I wanted to get one of the um, the Haro bikes, which was a. Uh, yeah, it's like a torque or a twin top two bike. And um, I forget the guy's name. It's a signature bike. It's not Bob's, Bob Harrow's signature bike. It's uh, His name will come to me in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, Den- not Dennis McCoy. Anyway, uh, I-, I love all the retro bikes too. I love the old school stuff. But it's gotten, price-wise, it's gotten out of hand. Because I used to get it when they were giving it away. And I still, I have grips, like new old stock grips to, th- to this day that are worth like, two to three hundred dollars for a pair of grips really and you know i paid 50 cents for the pair oh yeah but i only have a few little parts left and you've got guys who's you know who have whole collections that maybe they bought fairly cheap but now it's kind of worth a fortune yeah i I started thinking the other day when i saw this guy this guy had collected a heb mueller deck lid like a super rare coach built volkswagen deck lid and it said, found in storage for 50 years, bought it to put it in storage for another 50. And I thought to myself, well, if you buy these old school parts, it's almost like it's best to see them get used and put into something unless it's so rare. 
But I don't know. That's the struggle, right? Like you get something that's really yeah. rare, and the best thing for it to do was would be for it to get back on the road. You know, back. It, it's true, and the thing is, you don't want to age yourself out of the market because they say a lot of the hot rodder guys, street rodder guys, are kind of dying off, and there's no one to buy these cars because you know who was into it besides them. There's a smaller market now, right? Uh, so yes, yeah, but I actually kind of hang around this group of old school BMX collectors called BMX Society, mm-hmm. and they have this kind of thing of it's only original once. Don't strip it just because you want to have a fresh paint job. If it's got a really good paint job, but it's not perfect, you know, leave it original. It's only original once. And I see that kind of in the vintage uh, VW guys too. I mean, you know, hot rod guys as well. Yeah. So we have to kind of take good care of that original stuff. And if it's older and been painted and modified, that's, you know, that's one thing, but you got original new old stock head Mueller decklet or whatever you're saying. You want to be careful with that, but you're right. Put it in storage for another 50 years. That's a, that, that could be a liability or, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was retirement just, fund. I, I don't know. I was just thinking it would be really cool to see that go onto a car for a guy that's been looking for that part and piece and Absolutely. have it get back on the road because, you know, all these things, you can't save everything. And my, my philosophy and everything is like, you should use it. It should be put back into use of what it was for. Bike should be ridden. Stereo should be mm-hmm. listened to, you know, all that stuff. So I don't know. For it's, sure. It's, it's been a, it's been a, uh, it's been a, a good conversation. <laughs> a lot of this throwback detail stuff, but maybe it's, it's given me a lot of ideas on stuff that topics I want to cover. Cause I, what I'd love to do is, and this, this could be a good how to, so I'm going to give you some insight on how to, with the bugs charging system, the maximum stereo system that you could put in there for the for the best bang for your buck with what's available today, I think would be, especially in a Volkswagen, like how could you put the most robust system in there for under a grand? Could you do it for under a grand? I mean, yeah, I'm not familiar with the current prices, but the way I would do it is, so I, I look at it like this. I like kind of a three-way system, meaning a tweeter, a mid-range, and a sub. Right. So... Uh, the first thing I would do is choose a point source speaker. Now, I personally, I don't like smaller than six and a half. And that's okay because six and a half is a very common mid-range speaker. And the best deal for me would be a point source driver. And now what that means is, I, I know you know this, maybe the listeners don't, is the tweeters in the center. Now, there's a coaxial, which is kind of a cheap version, but a point source is actually two a separate tweeter, separate mid-range, but they are mounted together with an external crossover. And the whole point of this is it gives you the tweeters time aligned and on axis with the, with the, the mid range, right? Mm-hmm. I would mount those in, uh, I'm specifically talking about a bug um, mm-hmm. in the kick panels. That's the best spot. Now in competition, we would keep our front stage speakers down low, angled up inward and in a little bit, basically aimed across the like face of the opposing person. Right. So the right side would be aimed up in front of the face of the driver and the opposite to be true. And what that does is it equalizes the path length for the best imaging, meaning it's like you're sitting in between the speakers versus sitting right up next to one. Right. So that's the first thing I would do. And if you can't find a point source, use a coaxial driver. Just get a good quality brand that you like. You know, whoever, you know, JL, of course, as you mentioned, that's a great brand. Alpine's a great brand. Just listen to something and hear that. So that's your front stage, right? Yeah. The subs, you choose the subs that you want that fit your space. So you don't say, I want a 15, but I only have space for a 12 or an 8. No, no, no. Say, here's the space I want to give up. 
what fits in that space? Is it two eights? Is it two tens? A single 12? Like the rear package train a bug is a perfect enclosure for like say two tens or two eights, right? Right. And so I would do that, whatever you choose. And then I would run a four channel amplifier and, you know, two channels would go to those, those point source speakers in the front or the coaxials and two would go to the subs. I'd probably bridge the two channels if that was possible, run the subs in parallel to drop the impedance to get them more power. Right. Get, get them a little louder. Right. Right. And so, cause you need more power for the bass, you need less power for the tweeters. Uh, and so that would be six speakers. It'd be one amplifier. And honestly, I don't see why you couldn't do that for a grand or if your budget allows for more, you can get a little nicer speakers, but the same setup. Right. And that's in line with what I'll do in my bug. Although because I have a 15, I think I'm going to take out the back seat and do one fifteen. <laughs> well, you know, I did a system in one of my, one of my cars and I happened to be um, at the SEMA show and I ran into um, John is his name from uh, SAS from Bazooka. Oh, I know. Yeah. And so I, so I started chatting with him and I said, you know, I remember back in the day, bazooka was like the most bass for your dollar, like it's corner loaded bass that sounded wild. And they had a sound bar. And so I was talking to him and he was telling me about the sound bar, self amplified Bluetooth connection. So I put a whole system in one of my cars. That's a single self amplified subwoofer bazooka behind the seat. Mm -hmm. And then they put that sound bar up front, which gave you like dead center front staging right yeah underneath yeah. the front parcel tray and it was all it was obviously all bluetooth but i think the front amplified setup with four four mid-range in it and then two tweeters and then two little uh little mini subs on the side mm -hmm. and with the rear i think the front setup pulled seven and a half amps and then the, the rear had a a, a 15 amp fuse on the sub and it was, and, and the rear sub was triggered off the, the output. So there's, there's a, the only thing about it is there's that front sound tube. That's kind of funky looking and mounting it in the bug. You know, there's a way to do that, but I definitely like, like I would, the system that I'm going to put in my bug is similar to what you discussed, but I think I, I wonder on the new modern amplifiers, how much power you could run. Cause they, they, they've got these Harley Davidson's, are just blasting and I don't think these things have a separate alternator on them. You know, they just have that static or that, uh, that regular, yeah, that, that, well, I don't know what they call it a stator. They have that stator that gives oh. them the, that, that power. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think I like a single amp system, you know, mm -hmm. and with subs and stuff that are available right now. I mean, and, and that's the tough thing, right? Is what's a good quality because you can go overseas and get something made in the same factory, something else and put a different name on it for a lot less, you know? So it just, it just, right. it just depends. I mean, I think there's so much, there's so much stuff that's out there. I think it would be a cool, a cool series to do like step one, level one, level two, level three. Type Absolutely. Thing, you know? Yeah. It's tough with brands. I don't know what's good anymore. I know jail has remained excellent quality and that's, if I had to buy something today, that's probably the first place I would look. But there's a, I want to say a catalog called Matasound, and this is a home audio type place. Mm -hmm. But they have these raw drivers, and I think the name is Dayton mm -hmm. or Daytona. I think it's Dayton. And they, these are good woofers. They're made in China, but they're quality. Everyone raves about the quality, and they're cheap, like $60 for like an eight or something versus 600 Right. So that's something for people maybe to check into. There, there are ways to get 
you know, kind of more inexpensive stuff. You don't always have to go out and buy that expensive name brand, but Hey, if you can afford the JL, which I think it's, it's a fair price for high quality. Um, but you know, every, we've all got a budget, you know, so yeah. we've got to kind of weigh out what we can do. I, I always thought, I, I always thought, why did no one ever take like the front parcel tray of a Volkswagen fiberglass, the backside of it and make a panel that just mounts underneath the front with a subwoofer with some separates or coaxials in it that would give you complete front sound sound staging with a subwoofer up front. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you certainly could. There's a lot of options cuz you could if you wanted to cut the car, you could cut through and have the back of the woofer go into the, you know, the front trunk. And I see what you're saying. Now what I wanted to do was I wanted to build a horn, you know, use uh, compression loaded horn drivers. Yeah. And I, instead of just buying a pair and installing them, I wanted to mold a fiberglass piece that fit under the dash of a bug mm -hmm. and was the complete left and right horn and maybe even grills for the speakers and the kick panels, like I was saying, yeah. which would be a great place for a six or eight inch mid bass to complement those horns. Those cars are kind of built for that. And I may wind up doing that in mine. I actually have some, some nice compression drivers, but then I'd have to build on it. It just takes time and money. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, you got plenty of NOS, NOS amps. And one, one of these days we'll have to go through the collection of the NOS stuff that you have. Hey, I'll have to figure it out. I'll see if I have any pictures, and I'll, I'll forward you some pictures. Oh, that's it. No, that's rad. So, so uh, what's the uh, what's the plan as far as upcoming how tos for VW Transit? You've got slated on deck. So, for I, I'm just doing the the project cruising and trying to get that going right now. I uh, I just did the the dual carb install. Realized it was no fault of the carbs. It was something with the engine from the previous owner. That's why, like I said, I had to rebuild. So. There'll be a, a kind of a rebuild article. There's going to be working the engine tins, getting it back in the car. And then I have to figure out kind of what's next. I know I need to rebuild the front beam. It's just, it's kind of like we were talking about before. What is a guy really going to do in his garage to his car? Well, that's what I'm doing. And I don't exactly know what's next, but I have to tackle each project as it comes. And I really just want to get it running. I don't care that it's, you know, got a rough body and paint. I just want to get the dang thing running so I can enjoy it. And then, modify it as i go yeah. which is another thing yeah, that's what we used to do back in the day right done or not we had the car get it together by friday <laughs> night to go cruising that's it we just, i was just having this conversation with with dean kirsten and he said you know they, they would get off of work tear the heads off the motor redo a bunch of work and then get it put back on and it's like you do all this stuff that quick just for the fact that you it was your only driving car, so you had to do whatever you had to do and time right. that project start to finish right there. Right. Yeah. That or you had to get it done on the weekend so you get to work on Monday, right? That's it. That's it. Well, cool. Well, Paul, I'm glad we got, I'm glad we got a chance to chat, man. And if people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, I guess um, – well, I guess hit me up on my YouTube channel, Longshot Garage. You just go to YouTube, look up Longshot Garage, and uh, message me over there. That's probably the best way. Well, uh, or you can go to uh, Paul at MortonPhotographic.com. That's uh, my photography website or my photography email address. And they can probably and reach, so, reach out to you if they're in the Southwest and looking to maybe – if they want to submit cars they want to have featured for VW Trends, right? Maybe they could uh, – so yeah, for VW Trends, I'd hit info at vwtrends.com, mm -hmm. and uh, you sh you gotta have Dan Ledbetter on. He's the best. He, you know, I didn't mention. Not only did he bring back Trends, it was his vision, and he made that happen. He created Auto Sound and Security, and was my first boss back in McMullen. So yeah. Dan's Dan's the best. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We've had Dan on. We've had Dan on the podcast. Matter of fact, we had Dan on. I tracked Dan on before VW Trends was kicked back over, and then we had awesome. him on after when he was debuting the magazine. So yeah, we're gonna get Dan on here and RK and some guys, and we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do like a magazine get magazine men's roundtable is what we're gonna be. Calling. That'd be awesome. You're so, gonna hear some stories. Dan's got some stories. I know RK's got some stories. Yeah. No, there's uh, <laughs> it was definitely a, it was the wild west back then for sure. So, it was a wild west. It was it was good times. That was the best time. So I'm glad we can we can relive it. No, absolutely, Paul. And again, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, dude. It was a great time. Any any time, hit me up. You got it. Well, I'm sure you enjoyed that podcast because I sure did. It was a lot of a lot of throwbacks and deep dives into some of the cool stuff that was out there, and it's it's really great to get to meet somebody that was there behind the scenes on some of the magazines and whatnot I used to collect when I was just a youngster. So appreciate you guys for supporting the podcast. Make sure you go to letstalkdubs.com, share the podcast with all of your friends and let them know where to get the greatest VW content on the airwave. So lots of stuff coming up. Uh, Bugarama's doing their event June 2nd up in Sacramento. Also down here south is Hot VW's Drag Day March 10th. Then March 22nd through the 24th is the Silverado Campout. June 16th is the bug-in down here. And then October 22nd is another Hot VW's Drag Day. So those are some of the events coming up. There's lots of other events out there that are going to be happening. If you guys got an event you want me to promote, go ahead and send me a message at Let's Talk Dubs on my Instagram, on my Facebook, or email me at Bill at Let's Talk Dubs.com. Until next week, guys. Later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen.